podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box to this episode. Patreon is a monthly subscription and you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. I'm Rania Shatah and this is the Beirut Banyan. David Daoud, a research analyst on Lebanon and Hezbollah at United Against Nuclear Iran. This is not a political revolution. Hmm. Politics are not ranking high on their people. Are, they, want, they want food. They want jobs. They want electricity. They want basic things, basic needs. And they're not concerned with who's running the country. I think if, you know, if, if the way I see it, and this is perhaps a bit of an exaggeration, if Iran's stooges or Russia's stooges or whomever, whomever stooges were running the country but were able to provide these basic needs, um, we wouldn't have had we wouldn't have had this this uprising. So it's mm-hmm. where it's too similar, I think, is in the disorganization. Um, and I don't necessarily see that it's going to go anywhere. I mean, we mm-hmm. saw these upheavals. Um, I don't know how this compares in terms of numbers it's pretty com- com- you know, comparable to to the cedar revolution but right. that also fizzled out pretty quickly and you could start to see the strands fraying in the cedar revolution from the outset with on returning to lebanon and mm-hmm. in some ways you could say that it, it was disorganized as well right there there you did have more organized groups within this broader movement but that overall cedar revolution movement was disorganized this is all the more so mm-hmm. um and without that organization, without anything beyond, you know, 50,000 foot principles, um, how can you move something forward? You know, I like that you bring up disorganization at the beginning, because from most of my conversations mm-hmm. that I've had, the disorganization of the moment is usually brought out as a positive mm-hmm. factor in the sense that it is relatively fluid. Mm-hmm. You don't have the usual leadership sure. components. And in a way that seems to be it could be interpreted as a as a strength that uh, you can't really just target individuals mm-hmm. now. This is a population mm-hmm. uprising. But I like also that you're hinting at something else, which is translating the fluidity into something structural. Is that something that you see as a inevitable consequence to this moment? That which you describe the economic fuel mm-hmm. that is unusual mm-hmm. in terms of the momentum leading to structural changes. Do you see that the structure is not there? Within the protest movement? Within this current protest movement, yeah. I think there are very broad ideas. Right? Mm. I, I, I get the perspective that says, you know, this, this movement, this uprising clearly has enemies, and therefore it's to its benefit. It doesn't have a targetable figure that if you could right. decapitate, you yeah. know, it doesn't have its Bashir Jmail, it doesn't have its Rafi Hariri. Um, I can sympathize with that up to a certain point, um, but it doesn't have concrete ideas. Hmm. I think the person, the protester in Beirut and the protester in Nabatiya and the protester in, in, in Tripoli, yeah. they're united by you know these, these very basic generalities. Hmm. But if you're trying to translate this into something actionable, which is yes. where I think you, you know, yes. we would, they would like to see it go, mm-hmm. what happens when you sit down to the table, you, you know, from 
Ali from Beirut, Hassan from Nabatiya, and, you know, Omar from Trablus, and you sit there and you try to talk to each other. And once you dig down from like, okay, well, we want to reform the judiciary, for example, mm-hmm. um, what does that mean? Right. Or, uh, you know, we want to rebuild infrastructure. Where does the emphasis go? Right. Do we yeah. rebuild Beirut? Do we rebuild tourist infrastructure? Once you want to sit there and get down to brass tacks, I distrust slogans. Right. I distrust movements built on super what I think are superficial slogans. Can um, I just interject please here? Please go ahead. Would you include Kelonyani? Kelonyani? Yes, absolutely. Really? I, so you are the first person. Yeah. To say that. Because I've seen that how it's borne out. Specifically in terms of Hezbollah. So I actually wrote a, a, a piece mm-hmm. uh, for Atlantic Council on how yes. the, this uprising isn't uh, a threat to Hezbollah. Uh, not in the way that it's been portrayed. It's not going to tear them down. It's not going to disarm them. Perhaps it shakes things up. But mm-hmm. um, there were many in the streets who were saying, Kilonyani Kilon, except for Nasrallah. Or Kilonyani Kilon, and then we need someone like Bashir Ismail. Well, Bashir Ismail is part of the problem. Um, you, and you also heard Nasrallah Wahad Menmo. So of course. So there was that too. There was. I'm not denying yeah. that that existed, but yeah. I'm saying that yeah. there wasn't that unanimity in saying, we want this old system gone. Nasrallah, Bashir. I know Bashir is no longer alive, but he's still a symbol of something mm-hmm. that uh, I think... Look, I also don't place Lebanon's degeneration at 1991. I think the, the, this failure is inherent in the system mm. back from 1946, 1943. Uh, the sectarianism that was always there, the patronage systems. Mm. Yeah, it kind of, you know, the civil war and the collapse of the old order and the restructuring in 1991 kind of brought that to the fore and let, let the current criminals pick up. But these mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these strands were always there. So Bashir is part of the problem, right? The Jamails are part of the problem. So to hear someone saying, Kilon Yani Kilon, but we need a leader like Bashir. No, you need uh, you need an anti-Bashir. You need an anti-Nasrallah. So you see that these... Uh, I, I don't want to speak on your behalf, Go but ahead. I'm going to assume you mean that this is an inherent flaw in, in the way Lebanon is built. Yes. And that it goes deeper than just a... Uh, it's not just a sectarian issue. It's a Lebanese problem. Yes. In, in that sense, looking at the positivity of what mm-hmm. we saw, at least in October, mm-hmm. did you get the feeling from watching events sure. from Washington that that foundation was shaking, that a, that a different Lebanon was mm. on the horizon and didn't reach its goal? Or is it simply an impossible feat? I mean, I don't know if it's impossible. I think, look, there are two parts to that, two answers to that question. The first part I'd say is that identities take time to build. Mm. Um, Like many other Middle Eastern identities, Lebanese is not an organic, natural identity. Um, I mean, historically, right? What is Lebanon? Is it an Arab country? Is it Phoenician? Is it Western? Is it there was? I mean, that's what led to the original civil war. Um, That inability to kind of for Lebanon to figure itself out, to figure out a unified identity, that almost cognitive dissonance in Mm. being Lebanese never went away. Mm. Um, And I think post-Civil War, you heard a lot of people talk against, you know, sectarianism, talk against Ta'ifi, but where has it gotten anyone in the past? It's been 30 years, right? Uh, And things haven't changed. Mm. Um, Right now, I think people are talking in the heat of the moment uh, but then when you push them a little bit, um, you see that old sectarianism come back very quickly. Mm. Because, again, this I'm not saying it's impossible for a Lebanese identity to emerge, but it's going to take a lot more than some angry people in the streets. And Yeah, but that's actually it's a very it's a very almost like a you're cautiously pessimistic. Yes, in a way. yes I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to get a little deeper into what you're yeah. saying. In that sense, then, 
the at least the weekend mm. after October 17. Mm. So that those three days mm-hmm. was that in the mix? The anti-sectarianism, not the anti-sectarian, more the what you're describing. This because this burgeoning of a look, maybe a seed was planted. A seed was planted, okay. perhaps. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's too soon to tell. You know, neither mm. of us are you know have yeah. a crystal ball to look into the future, or it could just be be slogans. And this is may, again, maybe mm. this is just my inherent distrust of impassioned slogans. People say things in the heat of the moment, right? But then I think we can look at a. Um, kind of a test case for this in yeah. uh, the appointment of Hassan Dieb as, as prime minister. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, if you're all post-sectarian, why are you insisting on someone who's, you know, the most legitimate Sunni, right? The, uh, objection, the objection to Hassan Dieb was, well, he doesn't have Sunni support. And we heard this from protesters. We heard them from, the, you know, I'm going to use a term that it, that's kind of loaded, but their amen corner here in the United States. A- amen corner? The amen corner. What you know, is that? The, the, the big, the, you know, the, the, the raucous supporters. The, uh, uh-huh. Okay, um, I haven't heard this. You know, the, the, the ones who are looking at the protests with, like, this rosy-eyed vision that mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. is not justified by the data, by the facts on the ground, um, even if you have optimism. But... Um, why not the most qualified person? Why why not call for a Shia or a Sunni or anyone who is the most qualified person if you are so post-sectarian all of a sudden? And that was, I think, the first test case. Hmm. And Dieb, I think, well, I think he should have been rejected, but I don't think he should have been rejected on those grounds. So you saw the protesters rejecting him on the old ways? Yes. Less to do with his competence, th- more to do with he's not Sunni... Well, that, that, but the fact that that factor, I think mm. there were... Oh, the fact that it's yeah, even there. The fact right, that it's right, even right, there. Yes. How are you post-sectarian? This is still... Yes, right. And your alternative is also, Nawaf, Nawaf Islam is also a Sunni, right? It's not like they put forward someone who was from whatever sect, a Druze, a whatever, but he, this is the most qualified person in the country. I see what you're saying. So in other words, a, a, um, a moment of truth. Yes. You would expect the Lebanese to literally overcome... But that if, assuming this is if this is what they're saying, right. we don't want sectarianism. Well, yeah. But then your, let me ask you then: is is okay? That I think what I'm getting from mm-hmm. you is that that's a real revolution mm-hmm. that you upend the old order and usher in something new. Mm-hmm. Are there baby steps to that process? In other words, reforming the system from within. Sure. And what you're describing mm-hmm. a a post sectarian order could emerge one day, but that perhaps that just that takes time. Because I, I like what you're yeah. saying. You're you're describing these two figures, mm-hmm. both Sunnis mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I don't think the protesters even considered an alternative to a Sunni representative. I don't think, though, that they're doing that out of sectarian uh, precaution. Mm-hmm. I think that is just... That, it's something ingrained. It's something built in, almost. It's Yeah, and it's, it's, an, it's so old and it's so lethargic yeah. and that... It's almost impossible to imagine that fading from view mm-hmm. so quickly. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think, look, any change that happens in any society, for it to be organic, has to be gradual. You, mm. I don't believe in tearing down even, I mean, this is, it might come off, but even bad systems, right? Uh, we've seen this with the Arab Spring, if mm. you want to compare mm. it to, uh, mm. you know, I was an Arab Spring skeptic from day one. I remember sitting in my law school class and reading the news and, you know, people in Tahrir Square and in, in, in Egypt and then, you know, in Tunisia. And I'm like, this is not going to go anywhere. And not that I'm a prophet or anything, but that bore out because when you, I, 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 I have, a, I have a sense that change can't come that way. You have to be accustomed mm. to something, mm. right? If you, mm. if we take this as a, as an example, if you are saying 
well, we want to be post-sectarian, we want to be non-sectarian, but you have no reference point. Like your only reference point in your mind, you can say it, but in your mind, it's that just as you mentioned, this natural instinctive reaction almost. So then you're asking, not asking, but you're, you're, you're expecting a societal change with it, not just a political. Well, if uh, if, if that is a revolution that is to tear, if if we are to take the protesters at face value, Mm -hmm. if we are to take the slogans at face value, they are saying this is the sea change. This is going to change everything. The old order died on October 17th. Mm. We are now in, in, you know, the beginning of a new Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Well, fine. Mm -hmm. But it's not. And here, here's how we're seeing this right. uh, in the calls for a new Bashir, in the calls for, you know, uh, uh, a more Sunni uh, prime minister mm. um, that they're not living up to their slogans for those slogans to ever be realized. If they will be uh, that, you know, like, as you mentioned, it has to happen organically. It has to happen from within the system. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that would take. That's and then, and then taking that mm-hmm. one step further. Mm-hmm. What are the obstacles to get mm-hmm. to actually achieve that goal? Because there's an expectation mm. um, that the people that went to the streets were expecting something new. Sure. It wasn't just uh, let's chip a bit mm-hmm. and get some cosmetic changes. I, th- I really think this was a opting out mm-hmm. of something that doesn't work and trying at least to get something mm-hmm. new. What are the obstacles to that? Uh, well, there are many obstacles. I think part of it is the protesters themselves. What do they actually want? Right. Uh, they have, I mean, I remember the early days of the uh, the uprising, Robert Fadel, who's not exactly, you know, a part of the protest movement, but he's kind of posited himself as a spokesperson. Yeah. Um, and he's been in their meetings and all that, right? He was in uh, Martyr Square, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, this is at the beginning. Yeah. Sort of, yeah and yeah. there was like a little, uh, I guess, yes. a makeshift tent that was yeah, put in. Yeah. He read out like some points mm-hmm. that what the protesters want. Yeah. They were so, again, this is back to the generality. Well, these, the points that he made could mean anything when you get down to brass tacks. Um, and so if they can't figure out what they want, if they don't have a committee, something, what, what are you offering as the alternative beyond slogans? You can't run a country on slogans. Yeah. Um, and there's, I, I saw a website that came up more recently. I think it had six points. Um, the, I'm blanking on the name of it now, but Again, it was six very general points. There wasn't some kind of manifesto. So how are you, what is the change you want to bring about beyond? But then what, what should a protester who, let's say, agrees with what you're saying, mm-hmm. which is, yes, there should be a new order mm-hmm. and this is not something cosmetic. Is it simply pushing through with early elections? Is it what you're, mm-hmm. I think what you're describing is get a political party together is it is it kind of the usual ways we understand politics that they should organize and deliver? Or is there something that they're trying to avoid, which is this has been tried in the past and these moments fizzle mm-hmm. out? And that in a sense that leaderless thing that you're which you're which you're describing is in itself a way to circumvent the old problems that most Lebanese end up mm-hmm. stuck in. Among that is the sectarian politics sure. that we know. But then how do you get how do you get the change in place? If, if, how do you get your politicians? Do they want politicians in power? Like this goes more right, to the point. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Do they want people working from within the system at all? Do they want mm. people in parliament? Do they want people, do they want ministers in the government? If not, what is their vehicle for change? Yeah. Staying in the streets, you know, chanting. It's, it's like, uh, you know, what's that saying? You know, a, a dog who's chasing a car and then he catches it. Well, he doesn't know what to do with it. This is the way I see it in that... <laughs> 
fine, let's say Aon resigns and Birre puts himself in jail. The entire political class goes away. And we'll get to like where this political class came from in a second if you want, but then what? You've got, you, they're gone. How do you implement change? Do you take over the vehicles of government that exist? Do you want your people in parliament and the cabinet and the presidency? We haven't heard that. Do you, are you imagining an entirely new order, an entirely mm. new constitutional mm. order? Yeah. Do you want to do away with Taif? You know, right. and, and where is your vehicle? So, so that should be from the get-go. Yes. I think, well, I think there should be some kind of at least a committee or something. Some, if they don't want, if, if they don't want a single leader who yeah. could be decapitated, have a diffuse leadership, something, at least some kind of ongoing dialogue. And I hear there is dialogue, you know, going between, on between the different uh, centers of gravity of the, of the, of the protest movement. But are they just turning into another, you know, uh, Occupy Wall Street? Um, and that didn't entirely die out, right? right and that right. we still feel, I think, the rage of Occupy Wall Street, say, in our politics. Yes, yeah. I think a lot of it contributes, say, to, you know, the popularity of someone like Bernie. Sure. So I could, yeah. see, I could see the Lebanese uprising go that way in that it, it injects something, a new strain into the Lebanese political conversation. Mm. But is it something that's going to win over so many people? Is it something that's going to rally uh, the people? Is it something yeah. that's going to have realistic policy proposals and not just realistic policy proposals, but a realistic plan of how to get there. Right. So there is a disappointment mm. in a way, I think, from what you're saying, that even with the most well-intentioned protester, mm -hmm. the way Lebanon has been set up long mm -hmm. ago is as relevant today as it was 70 years ago. Yes. Yes. And, and because of that, in 2020, it's still difficult to see a domestic change happen, even when there's domestic pressure mm -hmm. and the most domestic pressure we've ever seen. Yes. I mean, these are... Look, I'm not denying the numbers, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, not denying the... Sure. And there's a, there was a, or there still is a genuine challenge mm -hmm. to authority. Sure. So that is something. There's but it's a, unfocused. And that's, my, that's where I think that... And it's unfocused because the Lebanese intercommunal arrangement in itself encourages that, encourages mm -hmm. a sort of... Not one group can overwhelm. Sure, and that's part of. Am I, am I getting that right? That the, the but, well, in, in in some sense, my where I'm looking at it is you have you know this great ball of energy yeah. that's kind of shooting off in all types of directions against uh, a political establishment that, for all of its disagreements, seems to have coalesced, right, and is now trying to preserve the order. Yes, because preserving that order means if we're going to look at the most base, right, staying out of jail in a lot of yeah. cases. Yeah. Uh, that's add on top of all the, you know, the benefits they get sure. from, from just having the order as it is. I don't think you can combat something that that's, that's first of all, uh, that organized with that much, with, with institutions that go back decades, whether they're good or bad institutions. They're institutions right. meant to support that old political order, to support these individual component parties. Mm -hmm. With all that experience, with all, you know, with everything that they have, with anger and slogans and the passion. Yeah, I'm not denying the passion. But that's not enough. So, okay, but that's, okay, let's say, and it's mm. obvious in Lebanon, it's never just a domestic story. Of course. There's, and there's there's at least two layers to yes. the story. And you sense there's a, an inevitable doom <laughs> to the moment within. Yes. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. that it's only been five months mm -hmm. and that things are still fluid on the mm -hmm. ground. But that disappointment aside, do you see the same level of disappointment on the sort of the top-down issue, not top-down within Lebanon. Mm. I'm talking about 
regional, sure. international engagement mm-hmm. with Lebanon at this moment. When you describe the March 2005 mm-hmm. protests, and I look back on those protests, it seemed to be both in equal measure. Mm-hmm. There was an international appreciation mm-hmm. or serious hesitation mm-hmm. with what was happening on the streets. This time around, it almost seems like a universal reluctance. Yes. And is that part of the disappointment to you, that that even even if the domestic issue, let's say, were to be more favorable to change, that there's really no appetite for engagement at this point in time from abroad? You're saying my personal disappointment. Am I, do I, do I, I view mean, that from, as a bad thing? From, from your own, yes, because, I mean, whether it's regional mm, actors sure. or, or it could even be, I mean, beyond America, mm-hmm. let's just say, the IMF itself, sure. right? That the engagement component is mm. just not really... Other than the IMF, yeah. I don't think there's any... There's no one. There's no yeah. one. So yeah. the French have said some things. That the, there have been like anonymous yeah. Europeans. Look, I mean, for me, I, I'm someone who says that in the wake of the Cedar Revolution, we didn't engage enough. Mm. Right. That again, we, we being the we being the United States, the US, particularly, and yeah. uh, the international community as well. Again, you had a similar dynamic where you had a, a dictatorship, Syria, occupying this country for thirty-five years, quashing any type of political movement uh, or any type of political voice that mm. could stand up to its hege- hegemony. Yes, this hegemony dies overnight, and yeah. you have these basically babies, right? These political babies, in some cases, really like Saad Hariri, and I, I don't mean that as an insult, in that he was. This job was thrust upon him, yeah. um, going up against this well-oiled machine, yeah. and they had the power, they had the verve. So in that moment, yeah, they needed more guidance. Um, they needed more engagement. At this moment in time, now with that in mind, that's my perspective. In this moment in time, I think we've seen so much disappointment from Lebanon. We've seen so much excuses, mm. right, where we hear, oh, Lebanon's special circumstances all the time. And this often acts as carte blanche for an action on the political leadership. Yeah. Um, and then we see a pro- – so there's – leading up to this moment, even before October 17th, there was this, this – this already this kind of this resignation that Lebanon is what it is. You look at this protest movement, which I think for a moment may have given people – cause to reflect well maybe maybe the political order get rid of get rid of harita get rid of jaja get rid yeah. of all of them let's work with the people but then the people seem as if they're also as equally ineffective so i think mm. in this moment i wouldn't advocate engagement i would say we need to wait and see not only that how does this shake out does this shake out as an american right if i'm looking at this strictly from a u.s foreign policy perspective from our interests and i think that engagement with lebanon is critical to our interests but what if this protest movement goes in a very anti-American direction? Because we don't know its politics. Um, and I worry about that. Do we want to back something that ultimately could, you know, yeah, Lebanon will be more prosperous and all that, but it'll be a more anti-American Lebanon. And there have been anti-American strains uh, within this protest movement. After the, the peace deal, the Trump peace deal was revealed, for example, the protest tent in Labatiye set up, you know, an Israeli and American flag outside and you had people stomping on it. And you know, these aren't the Hezbollah, but these are supposed to be the anti-Hezbollah guys in Nabatiyya. So I think... But the two don't necessarily line up that way in Lebanon, mm. that you can have a a challenge to Hezbollah, mm. and the same person can also despise Israel. No, sure. Look, I, I understand the sentiments regarding Israel. Or criticize um, the Trump peace sure. plan. And, yeah. Criticism yeah. is one thing, I think. But if they if, if this revolution takes on a distinctly anti-American orientation... Um, well, then it's harder for the Americans. Yes, to, as it should right. be, as yeah. it should be. We yeah. don't want to empower another problem element for us in, in the region. If, yeah. 
if it goes that way and it's Lebanon's own independent position, that's one thing. I don't know if we should be you know bankrolling it. And that's aside from the effectiveness, right? If we right. pump money into this, yeah. if we pump money, and we have put money and we have put backing into civil society groups in the past, mm. um, and we've seen very little for our return. Mm. Um, so I would actually advise caution now because I'm so you know, disappointed in Lebanon's inability to kind of pull itself up by its bootstraps. So even even in that sense, you mm. would need the domestic factors to at least begin for yes. the Americans to have someone to talk to. I think w- we can't go to the American government and build confidence without that. Well, yeah. would we, you know, if I'm going to propose a business deal to you, I have to show you facts and numbers and data. We have so little when it comes to the protest movement. So in that sense, the Lebanese are really on their own for the first yeah. time in a long time. Yes. And we, I think it's a healthy thing. It's exactly. I was yeah. going to get to that, that if they get it wrong... It's on them. Yeah, and if they get it right... Then good for them good as well. For, yeah. And I think the world will be there to to back them, and I think yes. we should be if they get it right. But right. look, I think it. this is part of what goes to, I guess, the heart of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just the way Lebanon was structured. There's something societal that I think is amiss, yeah. something wrong, cultural, if I, if I may, yeah. um, in that... You know, these leaders, as I keep telling people, you know, they didn't come from Mars, right? They weren't imposed on them by anyone. Uh, you change up the electoral laws, you still get the same leaders. Well, who's voting? And they're all like the last the last uh, election round. There were alternatives um, and people either chose to stay home. And in many in large numbers, they did. They did stay home or they chose to vote for the same old people. So you, you've been bring you've been empowering these people for so long. Um you, the people, you, the people in the streets, you've been empowering them for so long. And one, either through your silence or through your active support, you need to figure out what it, what it is that's led you to do that. Because you were okay with the system so long as it worked for you. It's only now that it's, it's, it's hurting you that you're not okay with it. That needs to change as well. Yeah. Um, and I think Lebanon being on its own will create a sense of, I guess, self-responsibility, self-accountability to say, well, maybe we're part of the problem as well. And that is what's happening on the street, mm-hmm. at least domestically, mm-hmm. where protesters are challenging the state and the state mm-hmm. sometimes, in recent mm-hmm. weeks, is responding. But in some ways, I think that's more of the old, in that what I'm saying is that not just... The Lebanese have had a tendency, you know, you look at the Civil War. It was not the Lebanese fault, right? It was Israel's fault. It was America's fault. It was out, always outside factors. Every problem has always been an outside factor. I think that same mentality, the, the protesters are saying, well, no, it's not our the protesters' fault. It's the politicians. It's the system's fault. We are the innocent people. They've been the ones, these, these leaders, this, you know, this political class has been the one to impose all this misery upon us. Except you live in a symbiotic system. Without you, without your support for so long, they could not have existed. They could not have reached the power that they do now. And that introspection within the protest movement, forget Basile, forget Aon, forget everyone. Don't curse out Basile's mother. Curse out yourself, too, because you've been part of the problem as well. You, each individual protester. And that problem is the sectarian nature of Lebanon? That, I think that, that people cannot overcome. I don't know if that's the sectarian nature of Lebanon. I think that's that's a pan-sectarian problem in Lebanon. That's pan-sectarian. Not, in that I think there has been, an, perhaps because Lebanon has been helped along at all phases in its history by outside powers, there's been uh, perhaps a, you know, a mentality of kicking the bucket down the road, mm-hmm. relegating mm-hmm. responsibility to someone else. Yeah. Lebanon being on its own now will cause this introspection, I think, within the protest movement to say, how have we, each individual Lebanese, contributed to the downfall of, of, of Lebanon as well? How it's almost we, like an individual introspection here. I think, I think it's is, necessary. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, every society is 
ultimately comprised of individuals. And the individual who, you know, dumps garbage in the street or who runs uh, an electricity uh, moter, you know, and, and, and runs basically an electricity mafia in his neighborhood, you're also contributing to the, to the damage of the system. Um, each one of those individual things, each person that, you know, doesn't pay his taxes or like hid behind a za'im or something, I would, I would venture to say that most of these Lebanese in the street have done that in one way or another. They've been part of this, this, this overall problem. They've been part of this, this issue in one way, contributing to it one way or another. This introspection is going to be necessary before they move forward in a way that they can build a healthy country. You know, I like seeing what you're describing. Mm-hmm. And like, if you look at it almost like a micro analysis, yes. you see the uh, the guy in the corniche throwing his Pepsi yeah. can into the beach, mm-hmm. just tossing it yeah. out. And you can't really blame geopolitics or sectarianism no. on that. No, that's right. that's you. That's individual. Yeah, right. Uh, parallel parking and blocking mm-hmm. traffic mm-hmm. for two hours for and just going to get your coffee, and going or to get your yeah. coffee, and assuming that everyone else. Doesn't have a life. Yeah. Well, no, no, worse. It's their fault yeah. for landing yeah. up. On, yeah. That is a purely, mm-hmm. I mean, that is a very micro level analysis mm-hmm. of definitely individual responsibility, mm-hmm. which is not there. Going to the macro, at least on a mm-hmm. political level, uh, when you said these politicians did not come from Mars. Yes. The, the politicians that are functioning today mm-hmm. or, or dysfunctioning, sure. whatever the word is, malfunctioning that they are, in a way, protecting a big problem within the state Mm -hmm. that does not allow for state reform. I'm just going to gauge your mind here. Uh, Do you see, it's Hezbollah today, it could be another Mm -hmm. group in the future. Other groups have existed. I mean, it's not a Hezbollah Hezbollah particular. Hezbollah is a symptom. I don't think Hezbollah is the... A a sub-state group Mm -hmm. that is at least able to maneuver the state for its own reasons mm-hmm. that usually is defense sure. and that's security that the politicians that are available today are either directly or indirectly a consequence of that arrangement mm-hmm. which is really the post-war order sure. whether it's Syria mm-hmm. or today it's indirectly vis-a-vis Iran, yeah. Iran the protesters are really facing an insurmountable problem mm-hmm. which is it goes beyond Taxation. Sure. It goes beyond uh, uh, municipal mm-hmm. issues. That this is a a very serious domestic mm-hmm. thing that is beyond their control. Mm-hmm. Does that factor into at least at least the changes that one would expect to come out of the sure. protest Look, movement? I think there there is a lot that is outside of their control. There's also a lot that's within. You know, mm-hmm. this I, I actually say this with regards to say support for the LEF, and I'll analyze uh, mm-hmm. analogize there uh, in that you know let's say the maximum of what the LEF can do or should be expected to do implementation of UN Security Council Resolution 1701, disarm Hezbollah, the whole thing. Well, it's not in the 1701. It doesn't say disarm Hezbollah. Well, it doesn't say disarm Hezbollah. It says says disarm armed groups that aren't part of the state. No. It says uh, no weapons. But it also says beneath... Beneath the the litani, but it also talks about disarming. There are two parts of it. And it references 15... uh, Was it... 1559? I, I, with the understanding, not that I'm supporting mm. this, with the understanding that Hezbollah is not factored in. So that's the Lebanese state's definition. Of, sure. Yeah. I think the international community would disagree on that definition. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, so, but, but, but going into yeah. that, yeah. That, but so, taking, but taking yeah. that as an example, let's mm. say that's the, the bar. Yeah. And we realize, I think we should realize, you know, 
that's an unrealistic bar at this at this juncture at this moment in time. We shouldn't push the LAF to move to disarm Hezbollah. Right. Accepting that this is what UN Security Council resolution says, we shouldn't at this moment in time push the LAF to disarm Hezbollah in one fell swoop because it will. Well, it wouldn't have. It's just the yeah. backlash would would be worse than, sure. than the action. Um, but you know, if we're going to say this is the top thing that the LAF can do. But the LAF is all the way here at the bottom, mm-hmm. right? There's this big gap mm-hmm. where we can, where the LAF is not acting, I guess, to you know, uh, to fulfill these duties that you know that are short of doing that. Mm-hmm. That it can it can do so much more uh, with what it has now. Yeah. Um, and I think the same works for you know you're talking about these insurmountable odds. Well, if we're going to create an analogy, fine. That's the high bar. Right. Right. But there's or so even ma- even soldiers on the Syrian sure. border. Yeah. Something basic. Something. Yeah. Yeah. But for the people, right? You have this high bar. You might not be able to change everything. You might not be able to end Iranian uh, influence or whomever's influence over your country. The yeah. stranglehold that Lebanon's in. But that's not carte blanche for an action, right? There's so much more you still can do between the zero you're at and, you know, the hundred that is, you know, ending uh, this this foreign domination. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Actually try to do something. And mm-hmm. then once, once the international community sees that, fine, the Lebanese are actually serious this time, this isn't like any of the countless numbers of times that we've pumped money into the government or movements or whatever, um, then you'll see a different reaction from the, mm-hmm. from the international mm-hmm. community. And... That'll probably help, you know, bridge that that final gap to 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 be able to kind of create an independent Lebanon. So in that sense, the answers remain in Lebanon. The answers the answers must always start in Lebanon. Is there any any validation mm-hmm. the argument where we're seeing regional unrest mm-hmm. and we're seeing protesters demanding economic mm-hmm. dignity and also perhaps indirectly. Mm-hmm calling on the end of this arrangement, which sees Iran's hegemony, at least through its proxy militia, at, at being challenged mm. on the streets. Is there any credence to the solutions are in Iran? Iranian protesters mm. pushing sure. in that direction alleviates Lebanese issues. Or is it, mm. for, and I mean this, in the, mm. is it a, beyond that, no, the Lebanese still need to... Look, it ultimately... St- like in other words, yes, what I, you're describing. The if, if the head, you're saying if the if the head of the snake is cut off in Iran, and is it more than that? Like what you're describing, the Lebanese army has mm, full sovereignty sure. over Lebanese yes. borders. I mean, like any army, I think any you know, normal like country. Any, sure, yeah, the way Lebanese army was at least yeah. thought through it at its, sure. in its inception, that that is only possible when you have an Iranian domestic challenge to their regime. I don't think so. No. I don't think it's entirely no, and um, I think notwithstanding what's going on in Iran. I think, look, there's been a, a coincidence in time of the protests in you know, Iraq, then Lebanon, then Iran, then I guess Iraq again, kind of. Um, and that created a linkage in people's mm. minds that I think is inaccurate. I think mm. these countries mm. are each doing, you know, these protesters in each country are looking after their own interests. Right. Even someone like Samir Jaja, who would love the opportunity, I guess, to, uh, to end Iranian dominance. He's saying this is not about Iran. This is not about, he gave an interview saying this is not about that. This is, so the link is just an, a natural economic yes. uh, issue, but the politics is not linked. The politics isn't linked. And uh, I wonder how things would have shaken out differently had, you know, either Hezbollah in Lebanon or the Iranian militias in Iraq, uh, no, the, sorry, the Iraqi Shia, Iranian yes. proxy militias mm-hmm. in Iraq, um, been satisfying these basic needs of their populace. Had they, mm-hmm. like, implemented good governance, would these people be lining up in the streets at all? Right. Uh would they be happy with that kind of governance? Yeah. Um, when we look at it as a, 
I think we again we need to look at this as, as entirely separate from the politics, mm. um, as entirely separate from calling for a political change in the sense because the economy is the issue yes. in terms of grievances yes. and street protests, but the political change is a is a direct. It's the next step. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think the political situation, when you have any country that has entities within it, sub-state entities that are basically siphoning off the lifeblood, if you will, of the state, creating a state yeah. within a state, hollowing out the state, um, you will end up in situations like Iraq and Lebanon uh, because the interest is elsewhere. Right. Um, so it is part of the problem. I'm not sure if the people see it that way. Overall, I'm not saying right. there aren't those among them. I'm saying, are they saying, are they when they're looking at their six points, yeah, even from a fifty thousand foot view, are they saying, okay, the the very existence of a non-state entity as a rival to the state within our country is yeah. part of the problem? Right, right, right. And actually, that maybe is a nice way to kind of talk about a conversation we had before recording. Sure. And I think it was a nice introduction yes. because you literally just picked me up <laughs> and we're heading to our destination and we had a conversation, yeah. which in hindsight was probably relevant to, to this, this episode. Yeah. I, I was in Lebanon the last four months mm -hmm. and I mean, it's been discussed thoroughly mm -hmm. that the passion beyond Beirut, mm -hmm. whether it was in Tripoli, in Antilles, mm -hmm. in Nabati, in the south, that that unusual... that. The fact that there were people outside of the Beirut sphere mm -hmm. challenging their own local... Sure. Yeah. Nabati, mm -hmm. particularly against Hezbollah. And Amal as well. You know, and and Amal. And even, I mean, it, it just seemed for a few days that there really was mm -hmm. change on the horizon. And it just now it's clear mm -hmm. that it's not going to happen overnight. But is that, in your mind, at least the beginning to what is necessary that the fracture mm -hmm. where you're seeing Lebanese not talking in sectarian mm -hmm. terms and I and on TV at mm -hmm. least shouting against their mm -hmm. sectarian overlord sure. saying go mm -hmm. we don't care what you are go I mean is that planting the seed is that I mean at least how, how else do we get to the sure. final stage if not through that route look I think I'm going to answer like a lawyer here, but it depends, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I think, first of all, in the euphoria of the moment, and I, I try to look at Lebanon as dispassionately as possible. Um, I think that's the only way to look at it, especially when you have a moment like this mm. uh, where you care so much for the interests of the country and you can kind of almost see salvation on the other side. You get too excited. And mm. I think within mm. that excitement, a lot of the nuance in these protests in the South and Nabati uh, was missed. First of all, you had counter-protesters coming out uh, who were pro-Hezbollah, pro-Amal. Um, you had, you know, there's talk of like the Wahra, right? The the aura of, of you know, Hezbollah's aura has been shattered. Uh, maybe had, you know, a lot of these people also not been forced to apologize either publicly or on mm. TV, just like after the Hayasillam incident in 2017. Mm. Um, within these protests also, you had very differing views on Hezbollah, on Amal, uh, you had some saying, you know, killun yani killun, except for Amal Hezbollah. You had some saying, some objecting to Hezbollah's political uh, um, uh, involvement and in, 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 in how it's it's run things in the government, but saying, no, no, don't touch the Mukawam and don't touch the resistance. And in when you do that, um, Hezbollah is an entity, at least Hezbollah particularly. Amal is, for all intents and purposes, a spent force after Nabi Hibir dies, but Hezbollah 
once you give it this breathing room, whatever it may be, you let it run chicken restaurants, it's going to find a way to, to reflourish again. Um, and this is how it flourished in the 90s, where it was strictly a militia. And that was, you know, the sphere that Syria and the Lebanese allowed it to operate in. But by the time the necessity for that ended with the, you know, at the end of the Israeli occupation, you had an entity too powerful for the state to control. Um, so if you're going to say, as the protesters, well, end Hezbollah's political involvement, but leave the Mukawame, but fine, Hezbollah has come into power from that point and has exerted influence on the government. So you see, even in that sense, it's just going back to the 90s yes. at best. It's yes. not going back to anything else. It's even, and, and so and, and, and where it is going beyond that, yeah. um, there's a matter of sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you need two things. You need critical mass of numbers, right? Anti-Hezbollah Shia are not a novelty. Uh, we've seen this before. Um, they have existed. Even we saw them kind of in their protest votes in the last uh, in the last election. Um, so you need critical mass of numbers, and you need a movement. You need something that's sustainable. If these people uh, who are anti Hezbollah um, are speaking out against it now, in the passion of the moment, where you have hundreds of thousands of people, you know, thousands of people around you in the street, and they're all worked up, and Hezbollah is a little cowed. But then tomorrow it dies down, or tomorrow Hezbollah finds a way to crack down on you, and that dies down, then what, what difference has it made? In fact, I think it rebounds the other way. Mm. And, and one thing that I saw that was kind of emblematic of this, there were these protesters near um, Majlis al Janoub, right? And they're walking down, and these pro-Hezbollah guys come at them, and they're like, go play your protest game elsewhere. You know, you're anti-Mukawame, anti- and they're hitting them. And the protesters are like, we have nothing against the Mukawame. Right. So there's two ways to look at this. There's the way to look at it that these guys sincerely, the protesters sincerely are not anti mukawami which is a problem. The other way to look at it, which I think in some ways is equally problematic, is that the fear of Hezbollah still exists to the point where these people will say we are not anti mukawami We're like against everything else. And even that word sometimes is you can translate mm-hmm. that word to mean any resistance sure. in Lebanon. And oftentimes it's it's mostly the older resistance sure. groups that sort of take pride in that sure. name. But so I think in this instance, it was... It was on Hezbollah's... I mean, these are it's on Hezbollah's yeah. turf. Yeah, the yeah. guys these are referring to, right? The, 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 but just these images of Hariri's posters sure. being ripped from sure. the wall in Tripoli, right? Look, Me- that's, Mealities, yeah. fo- they're really being mm-hmm. torn away. And Tripoli did some mm-hmm. brave steps on its own. Sure. Uh, Nabati was beginning that process yeah. and sort of it was sort of crushed down, down. Yeah. but is it is it just safe to say that the beginning started on October 17 of the of whatever's to come I don't know I mean to be honest I don't know I mm-hmm. think it again it depends right if if the mm-hmm. backlash again if we look at Hayasillam that could have been a beginning mm-hmm. right but you'll see how Hezbollah mobilized and this is kind of look at it as you know Hayasillam times 100 yeah. in terms of scale um, but Hezbollah might be chastened, it might be kind of on the rebound, but mm. it's not, they, they know how to deal with things like this. They know how to deal with it for, with, from threats with, within yeah. their community. So if they are able to manage, silence, quash, you know, you know, plug up the dam, do whatever they need to do, and do it in such a way like they did in Hayasillam where you know, the full fist comes down. Yeah. I just don't know any other way to overcome the long-standing mm. issues that affect Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Other than that, look, I, just, I, I agree with you. I, these problems and their solutions start at the grassroots. Yeah, the issue is sustainability. Steam. It, it took a long time for the average uh, pro-own mm-hmm. supporter mm-hmm. 
to be willing to challenge Aoun. And this happened. Sure. But look, October 2017, Aoun, I mean, Tayyar supporters were challenging this whole thing. They backtracked probably to a large degree, and today it's far less certain. But it it was not easy to imagine Gibran Basile being made fun of across the country by his own people. So that, that, I mean, it's, I just don't know any other way to get to a better country. It's the backtrack that worries me. And it's not just the backtrack. First, I mean, comparing, looking at Aon, Hariri, I would put, you know, even Amal, I'd put them all in one, one, you know, one basket and Hezbollah in another. Mm, mm. Because Hezbollah has this much more vast apparatus, uh, particularly with violence, right? They can and will use violence and they have a media apparatus and they have a social apparatus that they can bring down to shut people up. And yeah, you remember the guy who came out and cursed, but you're going to remember what happened to him. And if cursing didn't bring about change, then it's going to end up like the way, you know, dictatorships end up where you just don't speak up. You're so, you, you, you remember... You remember the guy who spoke up as the guy who went to the gulag and disappeared, right? That's true. I, it's, it, I'm, I'm making a little bit of an extreme example, but but let's but, take it just in a, in a softer mm, way sure. of people were dealing with absurdity mm-hmm. on October 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and WhatsApp tax and different uh, fires sure. and economic failure and real yeah. pain. But October 17, people moved on. Sure, and they said we're not going to only remember mm-hmm. this. We want to remember something else, too. So it almost seems like both can happen. Backtracking, mm-hmm. I mean, this October 17 moment may yield bad results mm-hmm. in the short term. It's just hard for me to see getting to a better conclusion without at least testing mm-hmm. no, these look, short I, term. Yeah, I think we need to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah. And in principle, yes, mm. this is the only way to bring about change. Without sustainability, though, it's just going to be a forgotten moment. And I think ultimately... It might lead to this exhaustion if, you know, yeah. March 14th, the Cedar Revolution happened and it failed. This happened and it didn't go anywhere. People are at some point going to say, what can we do? We've tried. We've really tried to do the heavy lifting. And looking at it from Washington, D.C., it's not over. Right? These people, people are largely in the streets, not in the numbers they were in early October. But it seems like also, you know. The my I get little notifications on my phone of which street was blocked where, those notifications have gone down right They're, the street blocking has stopped without the street blocking, I mean I get like the anti or the pro government people are saying you know you're preventing people from getting to their livelihood whatever but this is the mechanism of pressure yeah so the pressure has somehow started to recede yeah um, the Dieb government is becoming normalized and you know I think Dieb is playing it very smart uh, and that he's at least feigning responding to the people yeah. And yeah. if that gets them to a place place where they say, "Okay, this is all we could get," then I don't. That's not a step forward. I think it's an illusory step forward with Dieb in power. And I really yeah. hope the exhaustion that you're describing, which I think all of us feel, yeah. whether we're observing it, well, I feel it from here. Feel it from here. <laughs> whether you're living through it there, and particularly now, mm-hmm. this real exhaustion. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, almost uh, this l- new form of exhaustion mm-hmm. that's not. We don't know it. Yeah. It's, it's too familiar in the Civil War years, but it shouldn't exist today. No. Well, this kind of economic pain mm-hmm. and uncertainty, which is unfair for Lebanese mm-hmm. today. Um, I hope all the, all the sadness aside, that we both live long enough to see a Lebanon that at least is able to take care of its basic needs. Yes, yeah, I Because it almost seems like that's the, that is the fundamental issue. Even getting there is difficult. Yeah. 
But at least that seems to be a demand that's not going away. And it shouldn't. Yeah. And I, I hope I, I hope it doesn't because yeah. I think, look, a functioning Lebanon, um, even with the political mess in place, is a is a good starting point. And it's in our interest as the United, as the United States and it's in the interest of our allies in the region. It's ultimately more than anyone. It's in the interest of the Lebanese. That's true. Um, but, you know, we can't do it for them. Uh, yeah. We've tried. Um, perhaps not enough, but in, in points we have ha- tried to help. Um, other regional actors have also tried to change things. It didn't work. So it's up, ultimately up to the Lebanese to fix their country. Well said. Thank you for your time, David. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>